Welcome to Missing Pieces. This is Season 2, Episode 12, Bromance. And I'm your host, Don Anderson. I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who's gotten in touch with me. I love, love hearing from you guys. And someone from Australia actually got a hold of me. And she's going to be touring the world for next month or so. But when she comes back in the summer, we're going to do an episode. And she has a great story. And also the person up in Whitehorse, up in the Yukon Territory, got in touch with me, Beverly. Hey, Beverly, let's do an episode. And also, I might be going to New Zealand for a shoot sometime in May. And I think to celebrate, we should do a New Zealand episode too. I get a lot of downloads from New Zealand. So someone from one of you Kiwis get in touch with me. Hit me up at donnpe at icloud.com or on Instagram at npe underscore life underscore podcast. And for everyone, please rate this podcast and leave a review. Follow, subscribe, that way you will not miss an episode. So today my guest is Anthony. Anthony's kind of his real name, but not really. He wants to be anonymous. And I have to say, I really dug Anthony. I think we had a bromance. First of all, he's a pastor who cusses when he's passionate. I kind of like that. And we just headed off. You know, after we stopped recording, we kept talking for like an hour. So Anthony, back in the day, had some success as a musician. He was part of a band, and also he's a singer-songwriter. His success was mostly in the UK, but um, that was long ago. But I just wanted to mention it because all of the music on today's episode is his, and it's great. So without any further ado, here's Anthony. Well, I am from, I was born and raised in Rochester, New York, um, long, long, long time ago. And um, I guess I would say immediately the big thing was that when I was six months old, my mother um, left and she never came back. Um, from what I hear, she was struggling with addiction. Um, but the reality I found out as I continued, you know, growing up and talking to people who at once were reluctant was she got basically sucked into the mafia lifestyle in the 1980s, uh, seventies and eighties, there were the mafia wars in Rochester going on. And, um, there's been a lot of books written about it and things like this. And uh, right in the heat of the mafia wars, this this is what happened. And she she got into that lifestyle. My she's she was full blooded Sicilian, and so of course you know that that world was open to her. And um, yeah, so so she says she needed a break when I was six months old, apparently, and uh, that break did you have, lasted forever. <laughs> did you have other siblings? I have a brother. Yeah, I had a brother that was with me at the time. A little older brother, so I was the youngest. So it was me and my two-year-older brother at the time, and so um, my dad later would tell me um, that basically he found out some of the things she was doing, but because it was mafia, he couldn't do anything about it. You know, like she was going to do what she wanted to do, and he, he just had to pound sand about it. And so began the journey where. Um, he moved myself and my brother way upstate New York. And by that, I mean Northern New York. Not a lot of people know. Upstate New York is like the middle and Northern New York is Northern New York. Okay. Um, it's like Montana up here, man. You know, I graduated with 35 people. So we, we moved all the way up here with, uh, with my dad and his girlfriend. And, 
uh, unfortunately, that girlfriend, um, how do I say this, was abusive <laughs> to, to, to my brother and I, uh, mostly emotionally, but, but also physically. I, I just think some people aren't meant to be parents, man. You know, I mean, I, we come across it on, we hear it now and again on these NPE podcasts. You know, some people just aren't meant to be parents. And my stepmother, you know, God bless her, she tried, but, you know, just, just wasn't, wasn't good, man. Wasn't good at all. I would say she was my worst enemy. In fact, I have publicly <laughs> shared that she was my worst enemy. And, uh, yeah. So, but d- decent experience in school. Actually, you know, I got to start here. I got involved in the theater at eight years old, off Broadway theater. And by the time I was 12, I was uh, actually invited to go audition for Broadway, the last three callbacks for Les Mis on Broadway. Um, because my choreographer, Tracy Brigden, was, um, well, whatever. I don't want to bog you down with details, but I was invited to go to Broadway. And bottom line is, is I probably would have got the part because she had worked with me and she hadn't worked with the other people. Uh, but my parents said no at that point. They didn't want me to be raised in New York City. But at a young age, I, I had a real musical acumen, talent, dancing, singing, you know, that kind of stuff. That's where I think we, I first noticed my, uh, my tendency to try to get some of the things I needed as a kid to try to get that elsewhere. And I think that might be worth spending a minute you know, half a minute on, which is to say, um, I just always knew, okay, how do I put this? Like so many other NPEs, you know, in retrospect, there were missing pieces. Um, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. 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 See what I did there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's, it's interesting, even in the stories I hear, you know, on your podcast, uh, and by the way, I'm honored to be on here. We didn't do the formal. Don, it is awesome to meet you, man. I, I'm a huge fan of the show. You do a great oh, job. And what a service you do for not just us, but, you know, not just the NPE specific, just even psychological stuff and, you know, hearing other people and stuff. So thanks, dude, honestly. Thanks for having me today. Um, but yeah, music became the avenue through which I think I went to get the needs. I To get my needs met, you know, attention, acceptance, approval. Those are the three I always tell people that we're born with. We need attention. We need acceptance. We need approval from our parents. And we need 100% from both parents. Mom can't give it all to you while dad's gone and vice versa. And I think our listeners would understand that, you know, that if we get honest about, I usually draw a pie chart for folks and say, how much of that did we get? Once we get honest, Don, we realize, you know, if we didn't get that, then what happens is we go off, we go try to find those things. And that's good. That's, That's a natural human thing. I felt guilty about that for a lot of years. I judge myself when my parents when, when okay when my stepmom and my dad got married when I was six or eight. There was this video. This guy Jack was camcordering, and um, I kept jumping in front of the thing, going "Film me, Jack! Film me!" And for years, I looked back at that little dude and I hated him. Oh, I hated that kid so much. That little attention grabbing. For me, I can look back now and go, <clears throat> "That's not a bad kid. There's nothing wrong with that. It's that it's that he had an, this inherent need that wasn't being met." And so that began a huge part of my life. And um, so let me interrupt you just for a second. And I'm going to jump ahead just because I might forget later. But like, so you're saying you you usually draw a pie chart for folks and explain it to them this way. Who, who's your audience? Like, what is that a professional thing? Yeah, I, I pastor a church. I'm, I'm actually in the church now. And one of the big things I do is um, I do a lot of I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of spiritual advising. 
um, family and marital counseling. And um, my NPE journey, not just the NPE journey, but it has really helped me help other people. You know, that's, and again, that's way ahead, but um, yeah, that's, that, that's something, you know, I get people in the office and we talk about the attention, approval and acceptance. And then we start to look at, you know, maybe this is why I went to substance abuse, or this is why I more insidious and more, uh, more hidden. Lots of people, when they didn't get what they needed, they just shut that area down. While you were growing up with your stepmom, like, did you know who your mom was and all that? Did she, did you ever see her? So my grandmother, my, my birth grandmother stayed in our lives. My little four foot something Sicilian grandmother was my favorite person all my life. Um, somehow she, excuse me, somehow she worked it with my dad and stepmom where, you know, she stayed in. So it was, this is weird. This is super weird what I'm about to say, but so she stayed in our lives. We saw her four, five, six times a year, but in the same sense, immediately I start, I I was forced to call the stepmom mom, even years before they were married. And we were never allowed to talk about my mother. We were never allowed to call her mom, mother, mom, ask about her, nothing. It's weird, bro. And it's created a lot of issues, of course. But um, yeah, we immediately were like, this is your mom now. And it's like, don't miss your mom. Don't ask about that other woman. They lied. At one point, they, they, they said my vague memories of her. She was a babysitter. Like, it was weird, dude. My cousin came up once with my grandmother. This is my, you know, Sicilian cousin. And she just, she was a little girl. She just kind of mentioned my, my mother and they kicked her out. Oh my God. My, my stepmom was like, get out of here. And I was like, where did so-and-so go? So it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had an awareness of this woman, but I was just never allowed to touch it or go there. Hmm. Bizarre, right? Yeah. Very. Well, damaging too, I would say. Not that I'm trying to be a martyr or anything, but yeah, tough stuff, man. But anyway, so, so school was okay. I excelled in school. School was easy. I was I was kind of bored. Um, I was really athletic. That'll come into play later. I was captain of my teams and um, athletic. You know, I, I wasn't really challenged with sports. I didn't I didn't do music within school. Like I just it didn't go. But I grabbed a guitar. I had to lie to my family and buy a guitar. And I bought a guitar and started teaching myself how to play when I was sixteen. And of course, I'm listening to like Bush and Hootie and the Blowfish and stuff and. I'm planking it away on three strings. I mean that, by the way. So you were born like in round 80 then probably? Or? Yeah, I was. Yeah, exactly. Good job. Good job. Yep. But I had the urge to leave and get out and go blah, 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 blah. So I was the first one in the family to ever go to college. Um, I did actually, you know, attend a college a few hours away. And um, that's immediately when I got to college, I, I found a dude who played guitar and we started a band. I mean, literally, like that was my priority. Um, and I And I started playing. Getting away from my family at that time was interesting. Um, I had a strong urge to get away. And once I did was when I really started to feel like I could grow and be myself. Yeah, so I started playing music and things like this. Um, then then I just did everything for the music. Like uh, We started touring up and down the East Coast. Um, one point, my buddy came over from England and he's like, hey, do you want to spend the summer in England gigging? Next thing I know, I'm on I'm on the main stage in Liverpool playing where the Beatles became famous at the Cavern Club. And um, things really rolled. Things That's what we did. And we were a well-polished machine. We uh, I was really disciplined. I worked hard at it and I had a business sense, which a lot of musicians don't because those two parts of the brain don't seem to be. <laughs> so, you know, they seem to be pretty exclusive of each other, but not in our case. We uh, 
we worked really hard. So all the way through college, I played music. That was my priority. And then, uh, yeah. So, um, that's when all of a sudden, excuse me, that's when I had some inclinings to get a hold of my mother because she, she was still, she's, you know, she was still around, um, you know, five, six hours away, but, um, I would hear rumblings through my grandmother and stuff. And I had some, I had some urges to, uh, to get a hold of her, but I had a lot of anger and unforgiveness at the time. I did. I remember the last time I talked to her, I was six or seven. She called on the phone and my parents weren't home. And I remembered my brother, um, my brother got on the phone and started crying when he talked to her. And I remember I ran over the little brother and I grabbed the phone and I said, don't you ever call here again? You're not supposed to call here. And I hung up on her. And wow. look, looking back, Don, that was all conditioning. What six-year-old kid doesn't want to talk to his mother? You know what I mean? But I had bought the lie that she was this monster. I really did. And um, when I got into, when I got out of the house, I started to kind of think for myself, you know, as we do in our early 20s. And a part of me grew, grew curious. Well, the next thing I know, she was sick. And she wasn't well. And um, after college, I went back to England, and I just just did music. I left everything behind, guitar, guitar case, suitcase, and a backpack. I slept on my buddy's couch, and then I, a lot of amazing things happened for me. George Michael and Wham, their manager, came out of retirement to manage me. Um, I basically single-handedly created a music scene in this city. That's the truth. I was the only person gigging for a while. But um, after a couple years, you know, getting things together and really, really having a, a, a lot of, I would say a lot of success over there. Um, I was forced to come back to the States because of a visa situation. Um, and that's when I found out that my mother was really ill and was dying. And um, I came home and I had no real way to go see her and she died. I went down to to um, my grandmother's house to spend some time with her to help her through it. And so I spent about a week with her on the, you know, right after her daughter died. And that's when I got a lot of, lot of truths about my family that everybody else had hidden. And man, there's a lot of layers to this, but uh, the story was always that she was the monster and he was the good guy, my dad. But the reality was, just like everybody else, probably. It's not black and white. There's shades of gray. You know, my dad was shackled to alcohol through that time. Um, he did a year in jail. Like, I didn't know any of that. They hid all this stuff from me. So at 25 years old, I'm smack dab and hit in the face with this reality that this guy, my only family, my dad, my only family. Remember, because we moved away from all my family. I had no relatives with me. All of it was stepmother's family and 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 other people. and. In the name of protecting people's secrets and lies. I'm going to say something, man. I'm going to say what, what I think a lot of folks want to say, but secrets and lies are bullshit in families. Like it never works out well. And people can argue with me all they want, but doggone it, nothing good grows in the dark. And you know, every time I hear, well, we want to protect you. No, you didn't want to deal with the repercussions of it. That's a lot of times the truth. And I'm not speaking for everybody. But I think it's time that maybe somebody gets a little passionate about it and says, no, you didn't want to. You didn't want to. So in my story, when I found that out, you know, after my mother died, 
I'm sitting in my grandmother's house looking at pictures of my mother that I'd never seen before, getting to know her essentially, finally allowed to after all, and getting to know some other things that happened at that time. And that's where some real, you know, some real, some real hardships started to grow. I, I lost my mother and I never got a chance to, to, to meet her. I, so after that week, I went back and um, um, lived with, I, I, I remember I, I, I had nothing. I was in my mid twenties. I landed here. I started working as a radio DJ uh, locally because I had got a degree in uh, media. And my 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 dad actually worked at a radio station as well, selling stuff, selling radio advertisements. And um, so, yeah, it was tough. And then he gets diagnosed with cancer, and it was out of nowhere, man. It was out of nowhere. And so here I was in the middle of my tumultuous storm of 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 not knowing the future and having nothing. And all of a sudden, he gets sick. So I switched into. Um, you know, that was what was going down. That that was our lives was chemo and radiation and um, stuff like that. And um, he finished his last radiation and chemo and they're like, hey, you know, everything's everything's looking good, man. And then two days later, he died. And it was two days after Father's Day. So Father's Day was a Sunday, of course. And then on a Tuesday morning, like any other, I hear boom, 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 footsteps coming toward my room. And I heard, um, hey. Hey, come quick. Daddy's dead. That was how I woke up that morning. And sure enough, he was. And um, he had died in the room, you know, 30 feet from me in his room. And uh, that was it, man. That was, yeah, that began a really crazy season of my life, too. I did the eulogy, which I'm just a dude. I, but you want to talk about poetic. I didn't have a suit because I was a broke musician, you know. And... um I had to put one of his suits on and it was about two sizes too big. So here's this 26 year old guy up there saying goodbye to his own dad uh, in his dad's suit. And he doesn't fill it out. You know, I mean, you just can't write that stuff. It's too on the nose. You know what I mean? You got to cut that scene out of the movie because people don't buy it. And that was rough. Cause honestly, he was my best friend at the time. We were close and not in the way of like, I could share my emotions with him and, and emotional support, but we were affectionate, you know, we were friends. It was a good relationship. It was it was a good relationship. And and it was it was terrible when he died. You know, it really was. So after that, um two months later, my buddy Pete and I, I'm gonna use his name, <laughs> were um we used to go out and play darts. We wanted to play darts. We didn't want to do anything else. And um but on a on a night like any other after having not dated anyone for three years, because I was trying to get my mind right, um, all of a sudden I was playing darts and I met this woman. And yeah, she turned out to be my wife. <laughs> so I met her two months after dad died. And somehow I was able to navigate the uh, the sadness and depression and still forge a healthy uh, healthy you know connection with her. And um, so a year after I met her, we were married. And that's when I moved out. Because I stayed after Dad died, I stayed in that in that house and took care of my stepmother for a year. And um, I mean, I gave her, her the paychecks that I, I got a job bagging groceries. I you know I had a college degree. I was twenty six years old, and here I was bagging groceries, calling people younger and dumber than me, Mister and Mrs. So and So, who were management. It was weird. The store made you call them that. <laughs> like there's there's dudes I knew from school, and they were like as a younger and. And I'm like, Mr. So-and-so, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. But you do what you got to do, right? Like, uh, And I gave her the the, the paychecks. And 
Um, she freaked out when I told her I was going to propose to my wife. And uh, she thought she thought it was my job to take care of her. And I told her I have for a year, but I have to live my life. I'm 26 years old. I, 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 I have the right to go have a family and a marriage, you know, I, and, and yeah, that didn't go over well, man. That was, that was real problematic, but I did. I forged ahead and I married this woman and 2000 blah, blah, which would have been 2007 and um, moved in with her. And that was the first day I ever felt peace. I'm not joking, man. I'm not joking. I carried her across the threshold that, that night. And the next day woke up and there was no fighting. There was no arguing. There was no toxicity in the home. And I'm like, I live here now. Like I, it's like, you know, standing up in a battlefield. What? Like this is, this could be this way. And so began a really nice chapter of my life where I, I just, I'm hyper vigilant because of abuse. I know that, you know, um, I've got a lot of black and white thinking stuff I'm working through, but that's when I first felt relief, man. I did get involved in a bit of a counseling at the time. It was, it was ministry counseling, but it was like crisis counseling. And that's when I first started to unravel some of these things and started to address my feelings, particularly toward my stepmother. Um, and so some years pass and um, I end up moving out into the woods, which is great. We sit on 10 acres. We're surrounded by a bunch more acres. And um, I got involved in hunting. You know, I like to hunt, I fish, or I ride motorcycles, blah, blah, blah. And then my, <laughs> then my wife's brother decided to do ancestry and it came back um and actually he did 23 and me but that doesn't matter and we looked at what he had done we're like okay and then it occurred to me i was like oh i have children now i have two two amazing children well you know i got to thinking i'm like you know when doctors ask me do you have any such and such in your family i can never really answer the question what if i'm carrying something for the children right Don, that was my motivation, man. That was my motivation. So in comes our little tube. And the kids got a kick out of it. Daddy's spitting in a tube and shaking it. And I also called a cousin on my dad's side and said, tell me what you know about our genealogy. And he goes, oh, well, we're French. And and, and there's there's some famous French people that came out. And, 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 and you're Ukrainian. Ukrainian and French. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. That's what my dad is. This was in 2019. Right before we know what's going to happen, right in 2020. So in 2019, I get the results back on my anniversary. Boop. Hey, Anthony, your results are in. And I was like, cool. And you know how if you open it on the app, the first things that comes up usually is like your circle or your 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 ethnicity, essentially, right? The first thing that came up was you are 97 percent, 96 percent Sicilian, and four percent Greek. And buddy, I didn't need to look any farther because my father was French and Ukrainian. And it takes two full-blooded people to make a full-blooded person. That's just math, bro. And I just, I remember that feeling. And I don't want to rush through this. It was as though the world was shaking. Like you see the, you know, the, the bridges during, a, during an earthquake or heavy winds, right? You, you, you see, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get my... I couldn't get my my bearings. I had my, you know, six and four year old, and my wife was at a doctor's appointment at the time, and I had to just go into like, okay, do this, then this, then this. like, don't leave. You're making eggs. 
don't leave because you'll leave the burner on because my brain was gone. I, I just, we can all relate, I think, to this where you immediately, every, every image from the past just throws at me like a deck of cards. And it's like, how can this be? Right? How can this be? We've all been there. How can this be? And 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 every image gets colored with this thing immediately, right? Like, oh, this Christmas image, and it's like, oh, and then there's this new truth, and boy, cognitive dissonance, right? And I just, I, I, I literally, I just put one foot in front of another. My wife came home, and I, and I told her, and it's like we don't know anything else, but we know that that man can't be my father. That's all we know, because I'm a full-blooded Italian. That's it. And the guy wasn't Italian, and it's like, oh my goodness, so. Tears, you know, you know, you know, you know, and listener knows, like you know, and we're we're this lovely, <laughs> lovely group of folks who who live in this, you know, this reality where when we meet other NPEs, they're the only people who can know that moment where everything changes, but nothing changed. Like it's the craziest thing, isn't it? So, did you get any close hits of relatives that you no. didn't know? Nothing that would that steer me in any direction. Um, just so, so yeah. Maybe that's a, a slightly unique thing, but you know the 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 sure the surety um, that he you know he was not my father could not have been my father. But no leads, no nothing, like mystery. And so um, after I recovered from the shock, I'll say this: I'm, I'm going to give full details here. I was really, uh, I, I had been in talk therapy for about a year before this, uh, working through a lot of the stuff with my stepmother and other things. And, you know, also the abandonment of mother, things like this. There's obviously, you know, it's rife with work. But um, I'll give my, my therapist at the time credit. Um, I let him know and he jumped on an emergency session. And the reason I bring that up is because something was said that I think is important. I'm just sitting there bawling and I'm not afraid to say that. And I'm just crying and crying and crying. And he goes, should I not have, um, should I not have encouraged you to do this? He says, and without missing a beat, I go, absolutely not. Even though this hurts so much right now, I, I, I would never undo this. I would never take it back. And I had that sense right away. Once I saw the whole full-blooded Italian thing and I knew he couldn't be my father, there was a, there was a, if 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 it were a mosaic of colors with blues and reds and blacks and yellows and all that one color in that mosaic would have been relief and i i don't know how to say that in a different way but there's this just weird like this fits and makes sense on a level i don't have access to yeah honestly and it's like and also a little i don't want to say excitement cuz i couldn't get there in the moment of course but just this whole like Oh, it's like it's like something settled in that I always knew, and I knew it on a level I could never have possibly known, because the reality is, I then you know I, I took a couple days for myself, and I called my my brother, realizing he's now my half brother. When all my life he was my brother, but you know what I mean. Now he's my half brother, which again we're not diminishing, but we got to speak the truth. That's the truth. And I called my stepmother and. Well, my therapist had asked me, what does this mean for you and your stepmother? And I'm like, well, we're done. We're done. Who the hell is she now? She's uh, the man I thought was my father's fourth wife. What, what, do I owe this, what do I owe this bitch now? And I'm sorry, I'm just being honest with you. I was like, still in my anger before I'd worked through a lot of things with her and I, 
And I'm like, what do I owe her? And you're going to love this. One of the things I love about Don and listening to this podcast is that Don lets his emotions come forward. Well, you're going to love this part. So when I call her to tell her, after about 20 minutes of me saying, you know, this is what happened, DNA, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. She goes, you know, our relationship hasn't been great lately either. And you haven't been talking to me and you haven't been there for me. And I, I had just done enough work in my therapy journey to say, you will not make this about you right now. Absolutely not. And I had just found my, my boundary, my backbone, my muscle, you know, through, through therapy. And I'm like, you are not making this about you, man. I got to be a husband. I got to be a dad. I got to be a, 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 you know, a friend. I got to figure out how, how to, to function with this new reality. And um, she just pressed. She goes, well, no, we've had problems for a long time. I'm like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, you, you, like, this is not what we're doing right now. I said, and here's the thing, ready? I'm done with obligation to you. If you want to have a relationship based on, you know, um, shared experiences, the suffering we've gone through together when dad died, you know, memories that we've had, because, you know, she wasn't all bad. She very much cared for us. She, 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 you know, gave us a security we, we clearly couldn't have had otherwise. And I said, we well, want to have a relationship based on that stuff, but I will not be obligated to you anymore. Growing up, she always used to say, you owe me. You owe me. I took you to soccer practices. I, I, I paid for your groceries. You owe me. She said it all the way up until this moment. Finally, I had a conversation. I said, fine, give me a bill. I owe you something. Let's square up. What do I owe you? And she didn't know what to say. But anyway, at the end of that conversation, when I told her about the NPE thing, I did not let her make that about her. And that is absolutely appropriate. It was appropriate for me to put that boundary up. I said, if you want to have a relationship based on this stuff, fine, but I'm not going to be obligated to you, blah, 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 blah. And she basically said, no. And she basically said, no, I'm not interested. And I said, okay, I won't, I won't be calling you. And I didn't speak with her for a year and a half. As far as that end of the story goes, um, we did meet up a year, year and a half later. And I said to her, I said, uh, I didn't block you and stuff. I didn't avoid your calls. You never called. <laughs> you, never, you never reached out to me. And, you know, I mean, you knew what I was going through. You knew the hurt and heartache I've been through, and you didn't check up on me. So, um, yeah, but we did reconcile uh, within reason. We went out to a lunch, and I explained some things. Um, she refused to believe the DNA results, by the way. She thought they made errors and all this. Now, meanwhile, in that amount of time, I did – so I did uh, Ancestry in August, and then I did 23andMe, uh, 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 you know, a month later and it confirmed the same stuff. I mean, it said the same stuff. And then my brother I grew up with did ancestry and sure enough shows up as my half brother. Can I tell you that that was a really hard moment too? When, when my brother did ancestry and he shows up as a half brother and a bunch of cousins had done it too. And I had no access to them. And that was hard, man. It was like, I wasn't allowed to see them. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like Ancestry didn't give me access to these people that were my family for 38 years, 39 years I was. And I, that hit that hit not as hard as the first one, but that hit a lot harder than I thought. Seeing him that my 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 own listen, through throughout all the uh the growing up and the abusive stepmom, it was him and me, man, throwing football in the down the gravel road, playing baseball. Like it was us against them. And all of a sudden to find out he's my half brother, it was just, I think even now, three years later, I'm, that hurts. That hurts, man. It still does. 
that was a tough, tough, tough day. So where do I want to go from here? Um, oh, this is interesting. So um, I call a pastor friend of mine, good, good friend, one of my mentors, in fact. You know, and of course I told him all about that and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, you know, are you going to look for your father? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Sure, you know, like yeah. And he's like, um, well, this girl at my church, she helps people find their, um, their children they give up for adoption because she did it. She's found like 120 people. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. So I reach out to her. She goes, can't help you because you don't, you know, your your dad's name is on your birth certificate. He's not your dad. I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, okay. She goes, but there's this other guy. So I messaged the other guy. The other guy goes, no, I can't help you, but I was helped by this other guy. So check this out, bro. I get a hold of this guy. I tell him the situation. He has just helped this other guy find his father. And he's like, no guarantees, but I basically just triangulate, sent to Morgan's, and I do the stuff. He's like, um, I charge 20 bucks an hour to do it. No guarantees. And he begins to do the work. I give him his pa- I give him my ancestry password. And, and, and bubble bum, and he starts doing his work, dude, building the family tree. I have no idea. He's not charging me tons of hours either. We're talking like four hours, this, blah, 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 bloom. Like, just nothing, nothing, 20 bucks an hour. Next thing you know, he's got this whole family tree built. And he's trying to explain it to me, but I don't understand scent of organs and all this, you know. Well, we hit a wall. We hit a wall, and I want to spend some time on this for, for myself and for our listeners. We hit a wall. Where he basically says to me in um, at the end of nineteen January of twenty, he says basically like we this is all I have like it could be this entire pool of people and here's why hopefully some people come forward you know for Christmas DNA tests because that's the thing right people are always doing DNA tests you're always getting new people and it can help well then I meet the first angel of this story. One of my cousins out of nowhere messages me, Bloop. hey, I'm your second cousin. How are we related? Now, I'm in despair, by the way. This is second cousin from your dad's, your bio dad's side, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And you know what, actually? Let's rewind for a minute for sake of this podcast. When, when he sent me an email, my DNA researcher basically said, we're out. We're out of ideas. That that was a really dark time. It was a challenging time for me because there was no guarantee. There was basically we were saying you're we're not going to find your father. You're never going to know. And I do remember loading wood. It was in the you know winter or whatever, and we we burn wood exclusively, and it's wood that I cut, split, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm working the wood pile, and I just remember at that moment realizing. You know, if I find this guy, there's a bunch of moving pieces and other people. You know, we could be walking into an affair type situation. We could be walking into a crime type situation. There's so much I don't know. And in the midst of my longing to find out, you know, my my lineage, my parentage, my my father, I just remember at the woodpile, I prayed, I'm a man of faith, and I said, Lord, just give me what you want me to have when you want me to have it, because this is so big and involves real lives and real families. And as much as I want it today, wisdom is telling me, like, this is delicate. And I just remember thinking about how delicate that whole thing was. 
and I just kind of, I don't want to say relaxed, I settled into the idea that I might not, not know my dad. I am still waiting. I am still waiting. I am still here. Still. So then that's when the angel of the story comes in. A second cousin of mine had um, messaged me. She had just taken a test, popped up. And she goes, apparently we're cousins. You know, how are we cousins? And I said, you tell me. I have no idea. And I was tired. I was tired at that time of hoping. You know, there's a saying, it actually comes from the Bible, it says, hope deferred makes a heart sick. And I was at that point where I was kind of like numb and in despair. I was tired of hoping. You know what I mean? Like, oh. And another thing that I don't hear a lot of people talk about, that was a weird time between finding out who he was, knowing, knowing my father was out there, but finding out who he was. I feel really childish and vulnerable right now, but I'm going to just be me, which is to say transparent. I just remember that weird, magical, awful time of just picturing what he would be. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I felt like Little Orphan Annie or something where it's like, my dad's an astronaut, or maybe he's a cowboy, <laughs> or something like that. And listen, I'm picking on myself, but that was a real raw, hard, but again, childishly hopeful time. Like, again, so I've talked about, I'm, I'm, I'm very athletic just naturally. I'm not bragging about that. It's just the way it is. I'm super coordinated. I can dance. I'm musical. School was easy. Where did these, these, these things come from? They were nowhere around me, by the way. And they were bones of contention in my family because they weren't athletic. They certainly weren't musical. And they had never gone to college. And all these things were just easy, man. They were easy. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, maybe he's a this. Maybe he's a that. And I don't want to brush past that time because it was a magical time. And I allowed myself. I remember being on a motorcycle early in the spring. And one of the reasons I like riding on a motorcycle is because uh, you got to focus. You got to get out of your head. Or you're going to die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's this reality. And I just remember riding in backcountry roads because I live in a rural area. God bless it. After living in cities, you know, as a musician for so long. But I remember riding through these beautiful fields and just thinking, like, what if he's musical? What if that's where I get my ability to sing and play instruments? And, and what if he was smart? Is it Was he kind? And I just remember that. And if I hang out there, I'll probably get emotional even now that, like, it was the first time I realized that something was actually missing. You know, I acknowledged the missing piece. And that was, uh, that was a special time full of a lot of excitement. It was. Now, there was also the mourning process. I skipped over that, and I don't think that's fair to do that. There was a mourning process, I think, that we all go through where, you know, where we, we, we have to acknowledge and put to death the idea that this person was my my biological father. And I'll tell you what's not helpful. Let me, let me bitch for a minute. And I say this in public. I really do. I say this. It is not helpful. And we are right to be pissed at people who try to tell us how to feel. Well, he's still your father. Do you know how many people I told to shut up with an F-bomb in the center usually? I looked at them and I said, I get to determine how I feel. I get to determine. Because I had to do that so much to the good, even the well-meaning people, right? 
well, I just, I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. So I'll say something that brings us to resolution. And I'm like, I'm not looking for that right now. I'm not looking for that. Don't tell me how to feel. And don't tell me what, 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 what words I need to use. If I want to call him dad, I can call him dad. If I want to call him father, I want to call him father. If I want to call him his first name, I'll call him that. I got to do what I got to do to be okay with this. Why? NPEs need permission to be, to go into self-care mode. You know, we do. And I don't, I don't care what you think about what I'm calling. Um, only loving the real version of someone is authentic love. Not these, these, you know, idealized versions that we create in our mind. That's not real love. I had done that with my dad, with my birth certificate father. The year before he died, I got into Christian counseling, like I said, and it was, it was good. And it was, I just had a loving counselor and, and, and a lot of it was looking at him and some of the stuff in the past, like I alluded to when I, when my mother died and I just, I accepted him. I said, this is my dad. That's who he is. I wish he were more this. I wish he were less this. And I accepted him. So when he died, I didn't have to struggle with the regrets as well. Like, oh, I secretly feel shame about this. I was like, no, I, I put in the work to love this guy. I really did. And I, I, I authentically love him. And I, and, I, and I got to love him face to face authentically. And so that was really peaceful. So when I found out about the NPE stuff, it was like, that helped. It helped because there was the real version of him, warts and all, and I knew I had loved him well. And when I found out he wasn't my birth father, I got to be honest with you, like, that was okay. It was, it was okay because we had forged this relationship that was authentic and real. And that, that, that's not touched by biology. It's not. Like, he, we're still, I always, say, I always say this, like, we're good. Like, him and me, we're good. You know, like, okay, first off, here's a question people must be wondering. Did he know? And every single person in my family has all agreed he had no idea. He had no idea. He was on the birth certificate. Everybody just said, they look at me and they go, oh, you look just like your mother, who, by the way, is not around. So he, he didn't know. He didn't know. There's, and that's not denial, guys. I, I'm, I'm okay with if he did know. But I, I got be like, no, he did not know. And so, you know, do I? Do I kind of feel sorry for him in that way? Well, no, I, I don't. I don't know. All right. So let's, let's talk about this angel, the second cousin. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, she says, <clears throat> how do I know you? And I, 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 I am just me, man. I wish I had more of a filter sometimes. And I just was like, I don't know, man. Um, I, I don't know who my father is and I never knew my mother. And she, that broke her heart. She was like, oh, you didn't, you know, well, you know, the mother and, we got to talking and she actually was from the area where my mother was from. So we're talking Rochester, New York. And um, she was just the sweetest, lovingest, like kind woman. And, you know, I don't, I don't have the best experience with women in my life. Um, birth mother, stepmother, you know, come on. And she was just the opposite of that. She was loving. She was kind. She was self-sacrificing. It wasn't about her. She's like, I want to try to help you. I was like, all right, I don't know what you can do. And she just kind of told me some of the lay of the land. And next thing you know, she started to go to people in in her family and say, you need to do DNA. <laughs> this kid, this guy is is looking for his father and you need to do it. It's it's half off. Here's a coupon. Um, and she started recruiting people in our family. Of course, she's second cousin. So clearly it's family. And next thing you know, I went from that despair, that hopelessness of still waiting 
And um, next thing you know, more requests. Boom, boom. My, one of my cousins does it. She pops up as a first cousin. So my DNA researchers, you know, blowing up and going, hey, we can triangulate better. Next thing you know, it's a group of four brothers over here that could be my father or this person here, or this person here. It was it was a small playing field. And that's when I remember really doing the, the fantasizing of because one of them, you know, one of them directed musicals and was a teacher. And I'm like, hey, music, music. Another one was a, a famous coach. So I thought, well, maybe that's all where it's from. And I remember doing a lot of daydreaming at that point. So um, I'll skip to this where um, one of the guys who could have potentially been my father, uh, my angel cousin goes over to him and says, like, you need to do this. And he was reluctant. But my DNA researcher goes, if he does it, we're pretty much going to know, you know, and she calls me one day. I was at Walmart fixing the sump pump on one of my rentals. And um, she calls me. and She's like, uh, he doesn't want to do it. He says he's uncomfortable and doesn't want to. I'm like, you know what? Okay, I get it. Calls me back the next day and goes, he called me, he changed his mind. He's going to do it. And I was like, really? Yep. Talked to his wife. He's going to do it. And so what? Four weeks, six weeks later, bing. And um, yeah, my DNA researcher goes, well, it's not him. Therefore, it is high probability, very high probability. It's this guy here. He's like, we're done. He was a very scientific guy. Do you know what only probably cost me $300 to, to find him? But that DNA researching, uh, what, a, what, a, what a blessing that was, this man, to do this for, you know, <laughs> for, for peanuts, really, compared to – and we had nothing to go on. Right. And so found him. Was he alive? Um, he had died. <laughs> he had died eight years earlier, like a few years after my BCF, my birth father had died. That was interesting because all the fantasies of meeting my father and getting to know a parent for the first time died in that moment. I, I was never going to hug my mother. I was never going to hug my father. I was never going to see my mother. I was never going to see my father. I realized that I was an orphan who never knew he was an orphan. Really strange stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm three years later and I'm not sure I've fully faced that. But man, you're talking to a guy who never knew either of his parents, but thought he did. Like so weird. And I and I and I alluded to you earlier, Don. I said, you know, on a lot of the NPE stories I hear, you know, people kind of dig in. They they understand. Okay, I'm a, I want to put this the right way. When you when you lose the birth father, the idea of who your birth father was. I know a lot of MPE stories, they've got the other half of themselves that they know about and that they have, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And a lot, you know. And I realized for me, I had a really unique journey because I didn't have the other half either. When I lost that guy being my father, I had zero parent because I never knew her. I didn't have access to her. You know what I mean? I didn't have one foot in, 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 in mom and one foot in dad and just lose the dad. It's I lost everything I always had. And, you know, for me and my brother growing up way removed from any of our family and around my stepmother's family, my dad was the linchpin. He was every he, he was the mirroring, Alice Miller would say in Drama of Get the Child. He was the mirroring. He was that's me. That's me right there is that guy. And to lose that, it was like, 
wow, just I've got nothing to go on. All I have is a few pictures of my birth mother. I've never, you know. Um, but anyway, so that that added to it a bit, and and then finding out that my my actual my birth father had 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 died, you know, that was tough. And I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure I've really worked through that yet. That sense of loss. That sense of you know, could have gone differently. What if he was still alive? I, I, you know, a lot of MP stories go that way. You know, some go my way. Um, I did find out I have a brother and a sister via that. And um, so, real quick question before you yeah. go down that road: Was he married at the time of your conception to somebody else? Good, good call. Good call. Um, no, um, he and his wife had split for a short period of time for a few years. And it was right around that time, literally that the year that they were estranged year or two, they were estranged is me. Boop. Hi. Um, and, did, yeah. and did you, have you pieced together how they may have gotten together? Like, did they work together with a common friend? You know, any of that? My father owned an establishment at the time that catered to both mafia and police. Um, that's a big part of the fa- family's lore is that, you know, it was right in the middle. The cops would come in one entrance and the mafia would come in the other entrance. And um, I also did, so that, that, that place, you know, a popular spot at the time. Yeah. So, so I don't know, you know, no, we, we have no idea. Nobody has any idea as to what went down. Um, clearly something. <laughs> significant because I show up 10 months later, you know? Um, yeah, no idea, but no, my, my father was split, you know, living apart from <clears throat> his wife at the time for a block of two years in which I was conceived. Um, and so, yeah, I found that out though, when I reached, uh, okay. So this part's weird, but I'll make, I'll make sure I go quickly. Um, my father then reconciled with his wife and lived out the rest of their lives. 36 more years together. Okay. They got back together and, and, and reconciled. So that made things a little precarious because here I come, that dark period of their lives that they don't really talk about, all of a sudden I show up, 39-year-old guy. Wait, how do you how do you how does he have a son? When the obituary said 45 years together, 50 years together, like, you get what I'm saying? Like that, and I show up and it's like, well, <laughs> there's an asterisk on there. So they had got, so that, that, yeah, that, that was rough. And so this guy, <laughs> I'm not going to swear and get whatever. This guy finds out who was my father's best friend in life. And he goes and he tells <clears throat> my father's widow. And um, he tells her. And of course, she's crushed. She's crushed. You know, this was the worst time of my life. You know, and now this guy, now now he's going to hurt me again because he's got this son. You get it? I mean, yuck, right? But I end up talking to this guy. We'll, we'll say his name's Joey. His name's not Joey. But I'm talking to this guy. Now, now you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. <clears throat> I'm athletic. I'm in good shape. This guy's probably an older, older, older fella. It got to the point, though, in the conversation, <laughs> I remember I got a little, a little heated up because he wasn't going to tell my siblings. He's like, well, you know, we're going to let her decide if she wants to tell the kids. And I was like, let me give you a piece of advice. You let my 
brother and sister know. They're adults. You give them an opportunity to know me. Let me just let me just tell you I'm recommending that to you. Because he got to the point where he's like, no, I don't know if I, I don't know if she's gonna tell him. And I'm like, mm, oh boy, you are not keeping my brother and sister from me. If they want to keep be kept from me, that's fine. I'll deal with that. But no dude who think he's doing well is gonna take what I do have for family. And I told I basically told my wife, I was like, this guy's got about a week. We got a week. If he doesn't he doesn't give my family an opportunity to know, I'm gonna make sure he does. And but before that could even happen, another change of, of mind, he literally went to my father's widow and said, like, uh, you gotta tell the kids. You gotta tell them. They're they're grown. They're 10 years older than I am. They're grown, groany, grown, grown. And he did. And she did. My father's widow told my brother and sister. And um, all of a sudden, I get a Facebook message. I had reached out to the guy that turns out to be my brother and said, like, hey, you know, it's up in the air. We don't know what's going on. Could we maybe talk? Can I, can I talk to you and get some ideas? Well, he didn't respond. You know, nobody ever does in those situations, it seems, or very few people. Uh, well, anyway, he messages me, you know, six months later, he answers me. He goes, Hey, I just found out we're brothers. You want to talk on the phone? Here's my phone number. I was like, well, so I call him. And honestly, man, after that two minute period of like, who are you? Who am I? We just locked right in, dude. We locked right in and it was profound. We're talking about fishing and hunting and stuff. And we talked for hours and we clicked. He's, he, he's not the emotionally astute, you know, sentimental type of guy. He did his best to be there. You know what I mean? He did his best. And he's like, you got any questions about our dad? Called him our dad in conversation number one. That was so big, dude. I don't want to cry. Oh, that meant the world to me, though. He's like, our father, man. And like, you got to come down. You got to, wait, we got to meet. And um, and he was like, our dad, this, you got any questions about our dad? I'll answer any questions. And he just was like open arms. And again, he wasn't a very emotional or sentimental guy. He, just a kind of an outdoorsman, you know? Let me let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. So when I talk to my new sisters, I will never say dad in terms of okay. like, what did dad like? I would, I'll say our dad, right? But I'll never say dad. Do you understand that difference? Yeah, I do. Like, like it's, huh. it's a lot less. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it's. Is it because you think it's less committal or, or more detached? Is that why? Yes. I think, I mean, it's not a conscious thing. I just, it's an intimacy thing. Like, I, I think that separates, um, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, part of it, I'm sure is that NPE thing where I don't deserve to call him dad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's kind of like this middle ground where I'm not. I mean, I, I'm sure you've been through it. It's like, okay, am I insulting them if I say our dad? Well, yes, I have felt that. Because yeah. they grew up with him? or Because you know. I'm lesser. Because I'm yeah. lesser. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's just one of the many fucking – I love what you said about feeling like an asterisk. <laughs> like, like, we totally are. Now, my sister – all I heard about my sister was she's struggling with this. Give her time. She's struggling with this. Give her time. And I was super interested in my sister because look at my track record with women, dude. And I don't mean track record romantically, clearly. I, I'm, I'm good in that area and I don't have a lot of fallout. 
I've been married for 16 years, but you know, the mother and, and, and stepmother and stuff like that. Now I have a sister, dude. This blows my mind. I never grew up around any woman that was family. So I had a lot of really wanting to talk with her, wanting to get to know her, you know, I really want to hug her. Like I, I just, I think that she, no, 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 no stress on her, but that position could be so healing for me. You know, a woman whose family that might accept me and treat me well, like, man, I'll embarrass myself and tell you, I allowed myself to fantasize about that a lot. And there she is, you know, and she was struggling. She was struggling. It brought a lot of shit up for her. And, and my heart breaks for her, man. I didn't want this shit. I didn't ask. You know, I didn't. I didn't ask for any of this shit. I'm the one person who didn't do anything. Well, as it turns out, when my father had walked away from his family for that period of time, it was really, really hard. Clearly, it's really hard on a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. She was hesitant. She was reluctant. And, 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 you know, that's what everybody told me. So first things first, though, this is in May, by the way, when, when my brother reaches out to me. And he goes, come on down. And I hate to travel. I hate leaving my property. It's a big joke, man. My truck starts on Sunday and it starts the next Sunday. I'm not joking. I hate it. I love just being home. And um, I think all those years of touring as a musician, there's nothing I want to see. Like, keep me out of a car. Well, I did, though. I showed up for myself and I drove the three hours. He lives three hours away. Um, But um, so first thing, I I dropped my two kids and my wife. uh, I dropped them off at my in-laws and I went by myself just to make sure, you know, I wasn't going to throw them into this. And I wanted some time. Selfishly, I wanted time, you know, to sit down and talk to my family members without having to, you know, watch my kids because I'm I'm very, I don't pawn my kids off. I'm, I'm very active. But so I get there, pulling in his driveway was was tough. Tough as far as like, I don't get nervous. I public speak every week. I've been, you know what I mean? I've been, I've been in the public eye for years since I was a kid. But that one, that had a lot of nerves. You know, meeting this person. Well, I didn't realize how much I look and sound like my father and how much of a visceral experience that's going to be for my brother. So I walk in and he goes, dude, don't judge me if I cry, man. You look just like him. Now, that's got to be weird. The dude had died eight years earlier. Wow. Next thing you know, this guy. And here's the thing. My, my, my brother, he's 10 years older than me. He's as tall as he's up to like my eye. You know, I'm not huge. I'm 5'10". And, you know, like I'm my father's size and stature and voice. He had a raspy, deep voice. And, you know, so so for my poor brother, <laughs> out of the car comes basically, you know, a, a watered down version of his dead father. Uh, but we hugged, man. We hugged and that was it, dude. His daughters are amazing. They're both D1 full scholarship athletes, but they're loving and kind and wonderful. His wife is sweet, kind, and we went into the house, and he starts walking me around the house. He goes, come on, I want to give you some stuff. He goes, this was our father's. I want you to have it. Boom, boom, boom. Goes over, he goes, this was our father's hunting rifle. Boom, it's yours. Bro, bro, like a beautiful 30-06 with amazing scope on it. Like, this is what he used, and I want you to have it. How about this? How about this? How about this? Like, just giving me a bunch of stuff. He's like, I want you to know him. Let's let's look through photo albums. And, oh, man. Without crying like a child on your podcast, I'll tell you that sitting at that table, having dinner with him and his family, and just being family with them, 
was an experience that I I didn't really have for 39 years, 40 years. I didn't really have it. And we clicked, man. I mean, everybody clicked. The girls, me, they're 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 college age now. Um yeah. And so I went and got my family the next day and brought them in. And the way they clicked was profound. Here's my eight-year-old and six-year-old laying in the hammock with the 18 and 16-year-old girls and just going for rides and laughing and squealing and playing. Family question mark? It was so new to me, Don. Yeah. It was such a new thing. Well, you know, it's interesting that I got teared up when you were talking about the moment at the table. I was down in Mexico Thanksgiving for one of my new sister's wedding. Like proper Mexico? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She lives in Mexico because our bio dad retired down there and she followed him down. Or, okay. Uh, my bio dad, her real dad. Or see, there you go. Her real dad. Yeah, you know see, 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 yeah. <laughs> but she, um, anyway, it was a very emotional for me and just, I won't go into it, but it was just, it was hard. It was difficult. It was um, just difficult. Um and for a lot of the same reasons you were just talking about, like there was this moment where this, they had, my bio dad had stepkids, stepsons, which I never knew. I mean, I knew about, but I didn't know how close they were. So they come to the wedding. No one told them that I existed. And it was this, so their daughter walks in, his daughter who knew my dad well, you know, it was, you know, they went, they spent holidays with them, right? They were like closer than his girls were, but no one told me all this till Thanksgiving day. And so this, Girl walks in. She's like, who's the guy that looks like Grandpa Bob? And like, wow. and even though I love hearing that kind of shit, it was just, it's just fucking heavy. Ooh. And then her dad, who didn't know I existed, the look on his face was just, he couldn't, con- it was just, anyway. So there was all this little shit like that and it got worse. But there was a moment we were all on a boat with their sisters, Right. And our families were all on the boat. It was like, well, you know, to go see the dolphins on the fucking Sea of Cortez, that kind of shit. That's and, awesome. as, and there was a moment that no one else even noticed but me where the four of us, me and my three or, or the five of us, my, you know, four new siblings were just had gathered in the middle of the boat and just, it, it, it lasted like two or three minutes probably, but we kind of all just naturally came together as siblings Aww. and like nothing was said. We were just goofy, whatever, but it was... I've never felt so much part of a family that knows like yeah. three minutes. It was just beautiful. It is, man. And no one yeah. noticed but me, you know, which is as it should be, right? Um, you know, here's the thing. Like, I'm going to say this just for all of us. I'm going to say that we all deserve that. And I'll tell you what. He and I have stayed <clears throat> in contact. I've gone down there. Um, I, I went down there the next year I went down there. He's coming up here this this um this this summer they have sent my children gifts for every birthday and every christmas we literally have pretty constant contact we we've leveled now 3 years 2 years later we've leveled into what we're, it's going to be and i like where it is you know i i like where it is we talk a lot during hunting seasons we talk a lot during fishing um you know we 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 settled into what we're going to be for each other's lives i talk to my nieces quite a bit they're they're loving amazing people and so that, 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 I got a brother, I got another brother and I'm still close with my first half brother. I'm, you know, I'm close with my new half brother. And I will tell you, I did eventually speak with my sister. Um, that was difficult. Uh, it was difficult for both of us because it was really hard for her. 
and I, I don't want to hurt her. And I care about her already, which I cannot understand at all. But when we did talk, you know, she, she was very detached at first. And I, I did say this, some people will be proud of me and some people probably think it'll be too much, but I said to her, I said, um, well, first off, when we started talking, we immediately started talking. Like she's very straightforward. Like I am. Turns out <laughs> their mother is full-blooded Italian too. So both my brother and sister are full-blooded Italian, which is to say they're blunt like I am. I, I, I would say it was after I visited my brother. So like, it's almost like he then talked to her and said, this guy's great. Like he's not a weirdo. He's not a wackadoo. He doesn't want anything. He's a good father, blah, blah, blah. So I would say it was five months after I found out, maybe four or five months after. And she just wasn't ready, wasn't ready. And then she was. And when we talked, we were straightforward. She goes, this is really hard for me. you know. And I'm like, you could tell she didn't want to open up to me. And unfortunately, I'm, a, like I said, I'm really open and I, I ask questions and I'm just like, why is it hard? And, and she goes, oh, I just, you know, I, I'm glad our brother, I won't use his name, but I'm glad he, you know, I'm glad he and you hit it off and you guys, I said, well, what about you? What about you? What do you want out of this? And she's like, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm happy he found a, you know, brother. And I said, well, can I be honest with you? Like, I, I, I want to see where we can be. I, you know what I mean? Like, listen, you know, but I also don't want to hurt you. I said, you got to understand. I could just tell it was tender. And I said, listen, I don't want to hurt you. If you don't want to talk to me, if this is too much, I will be okay with that. I said, but one thing I will not do, I cannot beg another woman to love me. I cannot do that. And that might have been hard for her, but damn it, I needed to stand up for myself. You know, here my my birth mother get, uh, walked away from us. My stepmother never was able to love me beyond her own narcissistic tendencies. There I said it. And I'm not going to pine after you, sister. I'm not going to go, oh, will you love me? Am I good enough? I can't do that. It, it'll, it'll destroy me, man. And she said, I understand that. And I mean, hey, I needed to put that boundary down, right? But she said something at one point, and I'm not holding this against her, but this capitulates, whatever, encapsulates everything that um, she goes, you know, you're everything I fucking hated about him. And she didn't mean that about me personally. She did not mean that. And I did not take it that way. And I said, I know, I'm sorry. Like, well, the next morning I wake up to a voicemail from her ass in the morning. And I'm like, oh, one thing I forgot to tell all y'all, she's a bit of a celebrity which is why I'm being very careful not to say anything. She's at the top of her field in female athletics. And, you know, like she's a public figure, like very public figure. And so that's precarious too, because she's enough of a success in this world where she also kind of, you know, you got to kind of watch your back. Cause if you're on TV all the time and stuff like this, and here comes this. Well, anyway, so she calls me an ass in the morning. I bring that up because it's like, you know, I know, I know she's super busy. I knew in particular she was busy around this time. And she goes, hey, Anthony, I want to, you know, just give me a call, would you? And I call her and she goes, listen, I didn't mean that about you. And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't take it that way. I promise. Like I could have, and I know what you're saying, but I didn't take it. She goes, no, what I just meant is that time was so hard, you know, and, and, and I hated him for so long for, for leaving me and my family. And, and I, and I, I don't know if I ever trusted him again. And, and here come you, you know, it's just a reminder of that. And I said, listen, I know I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I can't be sorry for existing, but I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to do this to you. Like, I don't, that was not my intention. And I, I don't want anything from you except you. Like, I want to know you. I don't know if that's okay. And 
I said, but if you, if you, if you're not okay with this man, I'm not going to hurt you or your mom. And she goes, no, listen. And she said this, and I promise she said this. She goes, no, you're the reward. You're the gift out of this situation. You're the light in the darkness. She goes, I know. It's just, it's hard. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I get that. And so we, we talked a few more times. We Skyped. Um, and then things kind of fell off a bit. And, 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 my, and my therapist recommended. He had the idea that maybe I'd come on a little too strong. I, I can't apologize for that. You know what I mean? Like, I can't. I did. I did. I looked out to to, to get my needs met. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I didn't put anything on her. I didn't. I'm not skipping anything in the story. I promise you. Um, I would text her and say, if you're free, I'd like to talk, but nothing crazy. And um, I introduced her to my kids through Skype and stuff like this. But, you know, she's busy. And, uh, you know, we'd say happy holidays. And and then uh, this last holidays, nothing came through. And I did that on purpose. I didn't want to be the one to. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I, I, you know, I wanted to see. And I, I didn't hear from her. But then on Easter, I heard from her. And it's like, okay, you know, I don't know. So I'm giving that one time, man. I think proximity matters too, people. I think the fact I got to make memories with the one, I haven't actually met the other one yet. It's hard to do the long distance thing. Yeah. But I just want to say too, like, how just hearing this is how amazing that you guys had to got that conversation that she said, this is difficult. And you said, why? Like, tell me about it. Like with genuine curiosity and not like accusatory and like, why? Like, you know, because they're like, I, I mean, one thing I try to promote on this podcast is always understanding. Like it is so fucking difficult for us, but it's difficult for them too. Like in many ways, like, and, but just, I love that you guys were able to have that conversation and um, and that she was honest, got to be honest with you about it. Yeah, so you're right, Don. It was cool that we were able to do that. And you know, if I was too much, I was too much. But you know, I got to be direct. And I, it was I don't know. I did what I could do. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have let my therapist get in my head about that. I don't think I was too much. I basically told her I want to know you. That's all, that's all I said. You know, and I and I do. And that take your time. And I understand. And you know. That kind of stuff. But what it was is, you know, this this touched on issues she had had with our father. And she admitted that to me. And I said, "Would let me ask you this. I go, would this be easier if I were a girl? And she was quiet. And I knew I, I knew that landed. She goes, yeah, it would be. And I said, well, I kind of think maybe this isn't about me and you. Because if, you know what I'm saying? And she's like, yeah, that's a really good point. So, yeah, she was open to hearing that too. Like this is stuff between you, unresolved stuff between you and he, man. Yeah. So yeah, so that's where we are right now, man. That's where we are in this NPE journey. I will say this: that your podcast and Lily's, of course, have been really helpful. Really helpful. Um, so was um, getting like I was on this Facebook group for NPE support. Like it matters. Community matters. You know, yeah, it does. And Don, you're coming in. Listen, I know it's probably not weekly, but you're you're coming into our homes, you know, with this podcast. And I look for I look at my phone all the time. I'm like, hey, got a new one? Gotten <laughs> and I get excited. It's so cathartic. You're helping people, Don. Just receive oh. that, please. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, dude. After we stopped recording this episode, in our bromance talk, Anthony mentioned that his cousin the one who got kicked out of his house for mentioning his mom all those years ago. Well, that cousin came to him after his mother had died. You know, Anthony's mother, who he never really met, 
And the one time he did speak to her all those years ago was when he told her when he was six to never call the house again. Well, it turns out that mom, on her deathbed, she had regrets about not being Anthony's mother. And she recorded a message for him. So the cousin brought it to Anthony. And as you guys know, I always ask for those things. Anthony let me use a piece of it. And here it is. It's horrible quality. And some of it's hard to understand, but I'll put a transcript in the show notes. Here it is. A message from Anthony's mom. A message from the grave. Hi, Anthony. Um, mom. I know I haven't been a mother to you. and probably harbor a lot of resentment, and I don't blame you. I wonder every day in my life if I would have just picked up my cross and followed him. How different things would be. But I guess that's not the path I was supposed to take. I don't know. I do know this, and my love grows for you every day. And if, if I can take back everything and start a fresh, believe me, I would. I love you very much. But bye for now. <laughs>